Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in a still very frozen city of Chicago. Join me here is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. Happy Greek Easter. Ooh, wow. We do record a Greek Easter. Also yes. joining us, Jed Brewer, director of Mission USA Productions. Is Greaster the appropriate contraction of that? Yep, yep, oh, that's right. That's oh. They prefer that you portmanteau that one. Yeah. Well, under 30 seconds in to offend... One of the oldest civilizations on Earth and a successful number of people. I think this record, even for us. Happy Christer! Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. In observance of Orthodox Greaster, I am doing this entire podcast <laughs> on my feet. Ah! Ah, oh, lovely. In observance of uh, Orthodox Easter, I'm doing this entire podcast whilst roasting a lamb on a spit. Ah, also good. Are we, you? All, we, all, we do that during every podcast, but this time it's in remembrance of something, which is nice. <laughs> all right. Are you like George Costanza attracted to it because of the hats? That's for the hardcore That's Seinfeld right. fans out there. So the number of references we make on this show that predate half the listenership of this show is truly impressive. Yeah. It should be like a contest. Like, I got that. And you send it in and we give you a prize. You we know? have literally heard from people both for uh, reasons of their youth and them living in other countries that they do a lot. The, they do a lot of googling during the emergency. It's a, it's okay. a, it's like Just a decoding their horizons. Absolutely, yeah. okay. <laughs> drink more Ovaltine. It's like HQ, but if you understand it, you win nothing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, that's enough of all that because I have to declare an emergency. Whoa, what? what? An emergency is something on fire. <laughs> it's funny you should mention. Yes. <laughs> okay. As a wow. Fact, okay. There's a lot of fire involved. Fire. Some of it shooting out the back of a monster truck. <laughs> Some of it out of the fake gunfire that's being all at a men's conference at a church. We had that a doesn't sound right. We had a message coming over the Twitter <laughs> from our friend Kathleen a few days ago with a link to a video. Okay. And the phrase, this is a real thing that people are paying money for, and I need your input. Then she put in parentheses. Mockery. <laughs> and so we know we're, us well. We're just like your little snark monkeys. That's yep. we're just here to snark. You, you're 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 just saying dance snark mo- monkeys dance. Yes. Uh, the, okay. Well, I'm comfortable with that. The shoe fits. So <laughs> yeah. Here's what you guys need to know. There's nothing Glenn enjoys more than snarking on stupid church stuff. Right. <laughs> but it's the fact that you expect it from him that he has to at least summarily resent. That's right. Yeah, here's uh, to steal a phrase from another uh, podcast. I enjoy that the brand is very strong. Okay, somebody sees stupid church nonsense and say, "Here's I, I know where to take this." Yeah, right. And this particular form of nonsense is from a church, which I later found out after sending this to a friend of mine, <laughs> is based in the hometown of friend of the show, young life staff person Bill Reeser. Yes. <laughs> um, I will leave that town out, but if you know Bill, you know which town it is. Um, that they do they call it Six Flags Over Jesus? Maybe. Okay. Is that entirely accurate? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, here's the thing. Um, there's there, somebody decided to have a men's conference. Okay. Okay. We've all we've all been to men's things. Sometimes you retreat. You know, you go to a cabin and build fires or whatever they do right. or you know you go you should go to a ball game maybe it's a men's outing right they thought we're really going to take this up a notch so what they decided we're gonna we're gonna make sure these guys are spiritually fed 
nurtured and encouraged. We have fellowship and we have bonding, accountability, iron sharpening iron, strengthening one another and being united together in brotherhood. Maybe. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can't, we don't know what went on in the whole conference. We only okay. know what's in the teaser trailer. <laughs> Let me repeat that. The teaser trailer Ooh. that this church put out. Okay. With things from last year's right. men's conference. So we have a staged UFC fight. Ah. Well, and th- th- let me, uh, I don't mean to interrupt your flow on the first rattle out of the box here. No, no, it, this needs to be de- deconstructed. Feel free. Uh, okay. They're advertise- the, the advertisement is, here are two dudes wrestling. I think I've got it, actually, if okay, I may. please. It's a liturgical drama. Jacob wrestles the angel. Wow. Right. That's what we're doing. We're just modernizing it for the current era. Well, so, that would have made a lot more sense than what went on. One of them's like a luchador named yes, the angel. Sure, that's right. And then the, the other one's the Jacob. Yes. But, the, but just <laughs> well, on Helico, on loan from CMLL. So they're saying, here's two dudes wrestling. Come to our conference. Well, yes. Glenn. Now, are they wrestling at the conference? Glenn, it's so much stupider than that. <laughs> um, I don't think that's possible. What, ha- what a lot of these images come from, they do an opening, uh, I would say song, but it's more of a spoken word piece. Okay. Which you can find online if you so choose. For real? Yeah. Um, and it's, the, this, it's a thing where it starts off with a guy and he's on the drum kit and he's put out a little beat. Right. And then there's a guy in Blues Brothers, Sans hat, he's a dark suit, uh, Ray-Bans, and he starts doing a spoken word beat poem about strength. Oh no! What strength is right? And then, like having have the joy of the Lord is our strength, nope. and and like we we're strong in the mighty power of the absolutely Lord. Absolutely not. Rise up with the wings like angle, nope. eagles. Okay. No Bible verses come up. Okay. Really, <laughs> just about how being strong is awesome. Right. It does. Does it start out with Webster's defined strength as you know it does? <laughs> but here's the thing: because to Jed's point about the liturgical drama, you got to have stuff. Right, like you can't just say a thing and then people picture that in their mind. That's right. what chumps. They say, "No, they say strength is uh, whatever fighting." Basically, he says, "Glisten, dudes, wrestling." He says it more than that, and they literally the spotlight shifts uh-huh. to a half cutaway UFC octagon, right? And two guys. And look, I've done a little bit of martial arts in my time. Watched right. a lot of professional wrestling in my time. This is not good fight choreography. Okay, these guys are. Really, they're not working snug, as they would say. This, right. These punches are clearly not landing. There's about 30 seconds of, yes, staged UFC fighting. Okay. But are the two guys in the bike shorts with the big gloves? Absolutely. Right. So then it cuts back, another little stance about what strength is. Uh-huh. Then it cuts to a dude uh, clean and jerking weights. <laughs> wow. No, when you say clean and jerking. It's a power clean, and then he presses it over his head. It's a dude lifting. Yes. Weight lifting. Yes. Now, okay. here's my main question. Is I just did, like to keep it clean. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Is, did they rig that so that these are lighter weights? Or is there a chance this dude's scapula was just going to explode <laughs> <laughs> and he was going to give way? He, like, he wouldn't, it wouldn't, a no rep, as our friends in CrossFit would say. So you got that. Yeah. And you cut to the teamwork, and they have, not joking, a Harlem Globetrotter style line what? of guys jumping off a trampoline <laughs> to dunk basketballs. Nice. <laughs> And then there's the big finale, uh-oh, which is about a dozen guys in army cosplay 
rappelling down from the roof of this church as smoke goes off and firing fake guns. Wow. Okay. Men! So, okay, all right, wow. I, have, I have several thoughts. So there, But this is the trailer to come to our conference. Well, all this is in the trailer, and then there's the full video of this opening from last year's conference that you right, can find. Right. But th- this video, th- these things aren't going to happen at the conference. Presumably. They happened at last year's conference. Okay, so what you're saying is you have a crowded public space. Yep. People are in it. Yep. And people repel in. Yes. Fill the room with smoke. Yes. And then fire firearms. And that's how it starts. So that smoke's going to be there the rest of the night. So it's not like... Flashbangs, a thing that are meant to disorient rooms full of people, are going off as part of the show. Right. So that... Okay. That's... You know, I was going to explain why that's a bad idea, but if you need <laughs> we, me to explain know. it to you, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah. That, now, as you point out, you make a good point, Glenn, of, you know, this is all stuff. It seems like you're, you're cramming things in a little early. You're front-loading, as we yeah, might say. right. But they saved the monster truck for apparently later in the event, because it's not in that opening, but the thumbnail of the trailer is a big monster truck. Wow. Wow. In this church. Like they physically brought a monster truck inside the church? Yeah. Crushing wow. cars. I show I show Jed the uh the yeah. thumbnail. Matt, is the is the monster truck like a a metaphor for how uh if my faith was like, you know, huge, not like faith small like a mustard seed, but like faith huge like monster truck tires, then I could crush my enemies, much like a monster truck would crush tiny cars. I think that's again not nearly as stupid as the real thing. <laughs> also, can you? Yeah, you know what I can do, and Dumb. maybe you guys can't do this. Hit me. If you say, <laughs> "I want to give you an analogy," yes, it's like as if you had a monster truck. Okay, when you give me that analogy, I picture a monster truck in my mind. Right, my brain lacks the uh, capacity for imaginative thoughts. So well, I'm not, I'm not able to do that. Glenn, can I put your mental picture in the sizzle reel for <laughs> next year's conference? I don't think so. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm just saying, uh, you could just say it's like a monster truck, and then save like a lot of money on renting a monster truck. But then we couldn't brag to the other mega churches that we had a monster truck at ours. And yeah. rent. Are you positive that's how <laughs> no, it I, I can't. I guess we can't be. Can we be sure that there's not just a monster truck in one of the uh, the auxiliary gyms at this megachurch now? Yeah. Well, here's another thing. Uh, you were you were uh, showing this video to us the other day. Yes, it very luckily came in on a Tuesday, which gave us great joy. I, I was able to watch uh, maybe uh, 10 seconds of it before I just had to this. I was I could feel myself imploding internally with an overwhelming sense of why a snark explosion if you will exactly but uh Hallie Judd's wife who was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago uh, was amazing and 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 fantastic and wonderful well she's actually trained in martial arts yes unlike the fake wrestling that was taking place wrestling. on the <laughs> and she's she was also in the military. She's yes. actually a veteran of war and had shot all the guns. Yes. 
So she was experiencing all of the fake versions of these things that were really manly. Yeah. And she said, well, the only thing missing from this absurd display is a monster truck. And then. And then it came on the screen. As if summoned by her darkest thoughts. So... I don't want to be mean. Sure, but you're going to be, and we celebrate that. <laughs> but you can't not be, is the thing about uh, that's this. That's the, really the point. But here's all I'm saying is, I appreciate that you want to be macho, yeah, and that you think that will attract other really spiritually hungry people. You want to be hardcore. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, there's a couple of things about that. Yeah. One is... The idea of macho as a positive thing that we should want to be yeah. died in like 1976. Right. That's So yeah. you're way behind. Yes. And that's the thing about this is I put it to, uh, I think I put it to Kathleen on Twitter at the time. If you came to us and said, here's the bit you have to do. It's the passion conference, but for dudes. Yeah. Right. We would not be able to come up with something half as offensive to 49% of the population. Right. As this. Right. Yeah. Well, let's almost have to say this, because let's be fair. If you've got a monster truck rally going on and you're giving me tickets, I'm going. Grave digger. I'm going to. Absolutely. I'm going to enjoy that immensely. But here's the key. I will know I am stupid. Yes. yes. <laughs> I will say it's so stupid that I like this, but I like it. And you will, you will go to your stupid thing to enjoy. If I go to church on Sunday... I don't want a surprise fake fight to happen. Right. That's right. Because that you go to the same way. I don't want you don't want a sermon at the monster truck rally. No, what these are different things. What we're talking about here is worlds colliding. Absolutely, yes. and we can't have that. We we do we not can't want have that. it. And here, if I may close on, and I'll do my best to keep it short, a semi serious point. Hit me because this is literally one of the guys who's speaking at this is one of the guys who runs the Passion Conference. Right. Ah, uh-huh. So this is clearly some marketing stuff, and that's fine. We, we've we've poked fun at the Passion Conference, but you know, is, you know, young people go, and it's a big thing, and they have breakout groups and all that. It's lovely. Here's the thing. Uh, everyone listening to on this show has done a lot of uh, ministry with male-type persons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ages, you know, 14 to 65, the whole gambit, all races, colors, and creeds. Uh, you know, world-class athletes, people locked up. Uh, and turns out none of what they needed was fake macho stuff. Yep. That's they right. needed to be ministered to. That's right. They needed to have conversations. Someone yeah. to care about them. Yeah. Oh my God. And we, I will close on this because it's, it's a worthy thing. You offended us. <laughs> right. Think about that. Right. The thing you did, this group of jackals found offensive. Yeah. yeah. When we say, you know what? You ought to be embarrassed at this display. Yeah. You've you've gone somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that's yeah. And on that basis, I declare emergency off. Mm. I mean, please. Now, did do we have a nascent plan for our own say that monster truck? <laughs> of course. That we can take around to churches and challenge their monster truck. Absolutely. And I assume by some ancient law, then we get all their stuff. Yeah. And here's the thing, even if it doesn't work that way, I think if you told megachurch people it worked that way, they'd believe you. Sure, yes. Now, absolutely. Hit me, Lee. My question is, do you think the super fans could come up with what the Say That Monster Truck would be named? I certainly hope so. 
Find us all on our social medias. That's just our names at Glenn Fitzgerald, at Jed Brewer, at Lee Younger, at Matt Kinger. And let us know what to say that monster truck should be named. But in the meantime, we'll be in the, the blueprinting stage, the prototyping stage. Um, because we're going to, we have to have the best monster truck now that we know pe- other people have monster trucks. Of course. That's how it is. Got to win. And, if, and we assume that that will be eventually paid for by Bridgebox subscribers. Um, cause here's the thing, uh, you know, now there's music and there's sermons and there's Bible studies and all sorts of other stuff. I think we can make all those in the monster truck. I think we can totally. find a way to write that off. Yes. So we're going to keep going on for that. For now, we will use our Bridgebox proceeds that we currently have. They're all pretty much tied up in hiring our deacons, our part-time employees to do things like find people jobs, housing, get them connected with 12-step programs to uh, get them to churches, all sorts of other stuff. But hopefully in the near future, we'll have that. But we'll also have the R&D money to hire away whoever designed Gravedigger, John Gravedigger, I assume, <laughs> and he'll be able to make the Say That Monster Truck. But yeah. for now, you get that good stuff for yourself. You can support our Deacons program, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Move on to our first question. This came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. This says, should I be concerned if my boyfriend still lives at home? He's never left the house. Of course, I've asked him, in parentheses, extensively, mm, about why he still lives there. He says it's because his mom is older and needs him around. It sounded sweet at first, but now it's freaking me out. As a new wife, I won't be able to compare to his mom, especially if he has never lived on his own. I've tried to encourage him to try living on his own, but he doesn't want to move out. Now I wonder if we'll ever be on our own and if we were to marry and he wanted to stay her to stay around us then too. He says not to worry, but his nonchalant attitude has me in a panic. There is an entire... Victorian English novel in that sentence. <laughs> what is normal and what is not? What should I do now? It's like a Victorian crisis. <laughs> yeah, there's something going on there. He's out in the stables having a crisis about his nonchalant <laughs> attitude. So, Glenn, uh, a lot of stuff going on there. There's some, some economic stuff. There's some, some relationship stuff. But where will yeah. we start? Well, yeah, I think, first of all, you, you have a point, and you're, you're right about a, 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 an element of this. But what we want to do is kind of dial this in. Sometimes having a small point can be the most dangerous thing of all. That's yes. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, here's actually the, the, the main thing I think you want to look at eliminating uh, in your couplehood. It's the idea of, I am worried about something. He is not. So then I'm going to worry for both of us. Double worry. Teamwork. And the less he worries, the more I will worry. And then we, we're pulling on opposite ends of the rope on that. And we're, we're just going nuts. That's not good. Yep. Uh, it's good for the person who's not worried about it to listen to the person who is. Understand that. To take that in. To get their minds around it. To be able to speak to that in a, in a sensitive way. Uh, but it's also important for the person who has those worries and those concerns to embrace that that might be a little bit overblown. So we're trying to come towards the middle on that. That's that's our real goal here. Uh, in in a lot of cases, it makes economic sense to uh, you know stay with parents if it's a if it's handy to work and whatever else. Uh, you know, if it's a stable, healthy family situation. There might that just might make economic sense, and if he's saving money on that, and that's going to go towards your future living situation uh, once you are together, well, that's that's actually a plus. So that that part's okay. Um, but I agree with you. I think generally speaking, living on your own does teach you a lot about responsibility and handling things and all of that. 
I, you know, understand I love a good loophole and my man here is working a pretty good loophole of, you know, I'm just taking care of mom. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Sounds, sounds good. And I'm again, you know, I, I appreciate the hustle, but what I'm saying is, um, uh, the question I might have for him is, what is what is it you're taking care of in yeah. that house? Are you, for example, occasionally paying the bills for mom? You know, like handling the mail and and going cooking make, the meals, cooking the meals. Uh, uh, you know, do you take out the trash? What what exactly are you doing over there? And if there is stuff that you want him to handle at some point when you're living together. Get him to handle that where he's at right now and sort of experiment with learning how to do that. So that part's okay. Um, but I think the key is looking at it in the future. In a good Christian, healthy Christian marriage, you're serving one another. You're helping one another out. A big part of that is you're good at stuff, a certain stuff. I'm good at yeah. certain other stuff. There's stuff that you don't mind doing, and there's stuff I really hate doing, and vice versa. If we can map that stuff yep. out, we're going to be way further down the line, and we're going to benefit one another. So I think you're you already need to do that anyway. So this is giving you a good opportunity to really go over all of that. Who in in this household? Who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to wash the dishes? You know, who sweeps the floor and those kinds of things, so that you have a sense of how you're going to be serving each other in the future, uh, and so that he understands how life will change when he isn't living at home anymore. I think it's a really great place to start this off. And Leah, I'd love to get, a pick, get you to pick us up there about kind of expanding on what Glenn is saying here of there is a fact of this situation, which is he lives at home. And then there are some, uh, there seems to be some uh, anxiety about all the things that means. Yeah. I, I, I especially circle on what is normal, which is very, a very esoteric thought and maybe we do a little bit better just to focus on the actual things that are happening yeah definitely i mean one of the things that you you want to look at is what is the 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 kind of timbre of that household is does his mom need live and help and is that the role that he's playing or is is this a true loophole like glenn suggesting well mom you know needs a little extra help but meanwhile this dude winds up being you know uh, the worldwide number 16 or 17, you know, Call of Duty champion in the whole world or something like that. You know, we need to find out what what's actually happening there. Is he providing the kind of help that a that a person who is an invalid who needs that kind of help, is that what he's doing? Or is this a loophole? Um, what what are all the things uh, surrounding that fact of him living at home as far as his attitude? The, the, one of the things about a lot of guys is – if left to their own devices, there can be some kind of, um, there can be some kind of, uh, you know, just kind of stop and not progress. There can be some kind of timidity and hanging back. And what you want to see if you're if you're talking about future marriage with somebody is exactly what Glenn was talking about with this idea of a Christian marriage. People are serving each other. Another thing there is uh, a marriage of two believers. They that couple gets a teamwork and a mission as a couple so that you have you no longer have just two individuals but you have this this team that is accomplishing something for the lord that the individuals could not pull off on their own and that takes a lot of i mean that that takes a lot of praying through things together figuring out what your strengths are what is god calling you to in other words what you're getting the picture of as i'm breaking this down is that we're all 
together we're on a mission for something together. Yeah. Is is that the kind of life that he's living right now? I mean, it, is is your guy uh, on that kind of trajectory? Um, that that's the kind of thing we want to look at. Now, if you're looking at a dude that is he's living at home because his mom's in a bad way, and man, he is really serving her. Like Glenn's talking about, this dude is doing the shopping, he's making the meals, he's paying the bills, he's he's doing the home maintenance, he's really taking care of things that mom needs. That you're looking at a guy that knows how to take care of business and a lot of things that, frankly, a lot of dudes don't know how to do. Um, and so that's the kind of that, that's the kind of situation that you could have those kinds of hard conversations with of what is God calling us to, what is our mission, and that kind of stuff. But what we want to look at is what's beyond this pure fact of he's living at home. Um, is this the kind of person that I can build a mission and a teamwork with? Are we on that same trajectory where God is calling us to a life, a life that as a team we're going to be doing something that we could not pull off as individuals? And we have that work ethic, we have that, we have that aim and that, and, uh, that direction together. Um, when you, you know, when you, when you zoom in on the details of this thing, do you see a guy that, that can have, that you can have that kind of future with, where you have a purpose and a mission and a goal and a teamwork together? Or is this a guy that is frankly, you know, just chilling? Um, and that, that's the kind of, those are the kinds of details that we want to figure out as we, as we try to discern whether or not this is a, a, like you're saying, normal situation or a good situation or a situation that we want to invest in. There's something that Glenn said to me one time, a long time ago that I've always loved since I heard it, which was, it's almost never a good idea for a guy and a girl to get together. The guy and the girl that are getting, getting together have to make that a good idea. So they have to, you have to figure out like, so what is normal? Well, that's, that's really impossible to answer. Everybody's relationship looks different. You have to make it work. You've got to work this thing out for whatever your teamwork is, whatever your goal is, whatever your mission is as a couple. Is this the kind of guy that's going to do that? That's going to work with you and have those conversations. Somebody that's willing to put everything they've got into your relationship. You're either seeing that right now with the situation with his mom or you're super not. And so you're the one that can answer those questions about whether or not this is on the trajectory that it needs to be on. Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly where we need to go with that. And Jed, let me just close out by, look. I think what both Glenn and Lee are pointing to here is there's an attempt to read the tea leaves here. Yep. Um, and as we talked about before, one problem with that is you're doing that in lieu of conversation. Yep. I'm asking him, like, you know, what what kind of stuff does she does before you? When if what you mean is I'm not going to be the only one that takes out the trash, you can just say that, right? Yeah. Um, but there seems to be a certain amount of reading the two, and an anxiety about that and yeah. what we should be reading into that situation. Again, I, I'm stuck on what is normal. Is yeah. this person normal? There's not anything that makes someone, as Lee's pointing out, a perfect candidate for yeah. a relationship. Um, someone who lives on their own for a long time turns out uh, develops some patterns of their own. Yes, that is not a cure all. So how do we? But it's I don't think it's wrong to look at someone's life you're considering being in a relationship with and look for clues about what would make them a good partner. Yes, we may just be looking at the wrong things here. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Well, I think we uh, and everything you've heard so far has been spot on. I, I think we need to give ourselves permission to pull the camera back a little bit and make sure that we're asking the right question. Right? I think the question you're trying to ask is. Am I dating an irresponsible person? 
I think that's the question you're trying to ask. And that's a good question to ask because um, if you are dating and considering marrying someone who is basically just irresponsible in the way they live their lives, that that is going to cause a lot of problems. But rather than saying, is this situation normal? We'll do better to ask, is this a responsible person that I am with, that I'm being, that I'm considering being with? So how do we answer that question if we ask it? Well, responsible people lead a pattern of living in a responsible way. So um, let's, here's a quick check. Is he taking initiative and being responsible in other areas of his life? Is he able to hold down a job? Is he right. able to take classes? If he's working on his education, is he able to take classes and get consistently passing grades. Uh, when you guys make plans, does he show up for things? Um, you know, does he, is he able to pay basic bills? You know, these are, these are all things that a, a basically responsible person does. If you look at that and you say, actually, he doesn't really do any of those things. Well, then we are dealing with someone who's pretty wildly irresponsible, but, but here's the key thing. Him living at home with mom is actually just a part of a broader deal. That in and of itself is is neither here nor there. The the issue is this is not a terribly responsible person. That's that's the problem, not really anything with mom. But what we might find is you see something and you're afraid it might be a sign of your responsibility. I think that's a lot of what you're struggling with. Well, let's let's look at what the other options might be. It's possible that this is irresponsibility, but if it is, it could be a part of a pattern of irresponsibility. Again, this is just a person who just does not handle their, they don't manage their own affairs. And that's what we're looking at. It could also be a person who generally is pretty responsible. And this is kind of a blind spot. Everybody has blind spots. Absolutely everybody. So this is a person where, uh, generally speaking, actually they manage their affairs pretty well and pretty consistently, but they've got this one thing that for whatever reason, they're not able to see terribly well. And so we can, we can look at that. But the third option and Christians are really bad at acknowledging this can exist is this is a responsible person. And even though this might look slightly hinky, Actually, if you look closely and you talk to them, you realize this situation makes sense for what it is. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Hallie and I live in a really old house. It's about 120 years old, and it was built before a lot of what is standard in house building today became standard. So we have doors that don't match anything else anywhere else in the world. They're just custom cut pieces of wood. Um, we have hinges that have not existed for 50 years. We we have all kinds of clues and uh, barely holding together stuff that happens to work in the specific context of this house because this house is what it is. You wouldn't really want them in a different house but they do work in this house. And here's the key thing. There's not actually a better solution for this house because it is what it is. It's the house that we've got. Well, the funny thing is a lot of life works that way. There are situations where the specifics mean the right effective solution is going to be something that maybe looks a little odd yeah. and particularly to a casual observer, but it happens to fit this situation really, really well. It wouldn't work in a different situation. It's non-standard. It's non-standard, but for this specific set of circumstances, it works really well. It's important to acknowledge that for the following three reasons. The first is because Christians don't recognize that exists. Yeah. Christians Conform. Yeah. The, Christians are the kings of one size fits all. And if it's not in a Christian book, it's bad. We need to let go of that thinking. Uh, thing yeah, number C. two. C.S. Lewis built houses. <laughs> <laughs> they were great. Absolutely. Thing number two is solutions like that actually are a lot more common than you think. They exist all over the place. But here's thing number three. 
if whether you marry this person or someone else, you guys are going to come up on situations in your own life that need a custom solution. Yeah. Guaranteed. You will come up against problems and issues and struggles that need a custom solution that would look weird to anybody else. I don't know if this with mom is that or not, but we need to be open to the possibility that it might be because we don't want to reject those kind of solutions out of hand, given that we will need to employ them in the future. So again, let's pull the camera back. Let's not prejudge this situation. Let's ask, is this an otherwise responsible person? If they are, then we need to breathe a hearty sigh of relief and not, you know, be at red alert. And then as Matt was hinting rightly, we need to talk to our partner and have an extensive conversation, as these other fellows are saying, and get into it and face it as a team. Absolutely right. I think that the difference between that extensive conversation and I've asked him about this in parentheses extensively, again, is, as we talked about on the show, you got to come out and come right at it. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, trying to gather enough intel so you can get a picture of what things might be like in the future at some point is eh, maybe that could work. It's certainly not the most efficient way to go about finding out what you're looking for. And one last point I'll make on this, and I, I know I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but it really is what stood out to me when this came into the inbox, which is this ending on what is normal and what is not. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's no such thing as normal. Yep. Normal is a mass delusion yep. that we all kind of agree upon. Yep. No, there's no one. There's not a normal person. That is not how this works. So we're looking for things that are disqualifying. This idea of abnormality is not really that. I, the example I would use on this uh, it was when uh, Hallie met Jed, he was living with Glenn and Jane. Yeah. That's right. In theory, this guy's living with his boss. Well, that is that is abnormal. It certainly is. When you investigate it, you find out that's because it's a dude who's sold out for the Lord, is going to do whatever it takes to follow his calling. That That's a positive. Right. In the same way, maybe if, you're, if your boyfriend's mom has some health and mobility problems and he's there because he's dedicated and is carrying her up and downstairs, you know what I'm saying? We have we have a very positive abnormal right. situation. You can't get caught up on the idea of something being not normal and in itself think that's a bad thing because that will steer you wrong roughly 100% of the time. All right, we'll move on to our second question here. This comes in to our email address. It says, I wrote in almost two years ago telling you guys about my relationship with my mom and asking how to set boundaries with her because I was clueless. My mom and I have our ups and downs, but we're but I'm getting a lot better at setting boundary and she's more respectful of them for now, kind of, which is great. And now I'm writing to ask about what to do with my dad. My dad and I have never had a close relationship or a relationship at all to me. He was there when I was growing up to provide for my needs, but emotionally he's felt so distant and almost absent my entire life. In the past couple of years, I found my, I found my voice and I now know how to use it, whether it's sharing my feelings with someone, letting someone know my needs setting boundaries, etc. He's not used to me speaking up for myself and stating when I'm not okay with things. So this is new for him and he has reacted badly. It's clear to me that he doesn't think he's wrong. He's not going to apologize or ask forgiveness. And as of right now, things are just going to stay the way they are right now. But I hate the way things are right now. How do I proceed with things without him participating? There's a lot of detail in there. But I think I think it gives you a really good picture of kind of the things we're working with in this situation. And I imagine a lot of us can find some parallels to things of that in our own lives. So Leah, I'd love to get you to start us off and let's start off by focusing with this. Um, is this again, something we're all uncomfortable with, which makes sense. The idea of this person has heard, I have said the right things. Yeah. I have done the smart, responsible things. This person is stuck and not interested in moving. 
So how do I, as the healthy party, who's trying to do the right thing, move towards some sanity? Um, yeah, that's a, I appreciate the focusing there. I'll tell you this to start out. We're really sorry. This is your situation, man. Um, uh, as a person that has spent my entire ministry career, predominantly working with young folks, um, I can tell you that the number of people that have had really, really difficult relationships, especially with their dads, it is a, it's a devastating situation. It is, and it happens all too often. And, um, and, and to be perfectly honest, <laughs> I'd say most of the people I know have relationships with their relationships with their folks more often than not that they are confused by and have difficulty with. And so, um, including myself. And so I, I, would, I just want to say, I'm sorry that for what you're going through, cause it is tough stuff. One of the things that's difficult in this situation is, um, exactly as Matt's saying, you went about you know, seeking some resolution and some reconciliation in a grown-up way. And we applaud that. Um, that. That is, you did what you should have done. You handled your business like a grown person. And because uh, uh, as, as, as we've said on the show, this is grown folks' time. This is grown folks' business. And you did that the way that you should have done it. Um, the fact that your dad has responded poorly to that, um, that is not a reflection of you not doing what you should have done. And so let's start out there and say, um, you did what you should have done, and it sucks that it went down this way. Um, Here's a sad, super sad fact of life. You can't force another person to be cool, man. Um, You can't force another person to respond in the correct way when you are approaching them in a correct, mature, and healthy way. Um, the thing that the, the place that I would want to take you on this, I mean, besides just being a person who comes alongside you and says, "Hey, for what it's worth, this really sucks, dude," and um, and I'm super sorry that you're going through it. Um, not that that makes it any better, but you should know we do feel that way for you. Um, the place that I would take you on this is, um, I think at this point my goal would be to recognize I'm not going to have the relationship with my dad that I wanted to have. And in the kind of, as the dust settles on that realization, if I want to have a relationship with my dad, it would be this. Um, Can I approach having a one-note relationship? What I mean by that is this. I don't know if you've ever done the uh, type of thing where, like, you've gone to a restaurant where they have like real, like, you know, like kind of a nice restaurant where they have a chef that really, really knows what they're doing. And they do things with food you didn't know were possible. And you, you taste a dish and there's like tons of different things happening in it. Just really, really complex flavors and all kinds of awesome stuff. And then you, you know, get some fast food or something at home or something. And it's just got one note. It's just sweet or it's salty or whatever, whatever the thing is. There's a lot of relationships in your life that it's totally okay to have a one-note relationship. We have this one thing. We we talk about baseball. I see Roger at work at the water cooler, and we talk about the baseball game last night. That's our only relationship. We're not best friends. We don't hang out on the weekends. The tough thing for, for a lot of us growing up is that our parents were our world for a while. And so the idea that that relationship changes to something else is a difficult concept. But for a lot of us, we have to get to the place where we realize my relationship with my parents is now becoming a one-note relationship. We, uh, you know, I occasionally go fishing with my dad or something like that, or we talk about football together. 
the thing is, that can feel like a defeat, but that's actually a great thing. And it might be, at this point in the relationship, a healthy place to aim. Is there something that you and your dad could connect on, like science fiction movies or, you know, a a sports team or something like that, where you could aim at, we're just going to have this one-note relationship. We're not going to try to be best friends. We're not going to try to, you know, have a total reconciliation because, like we said, you can't make people be cool when they won't. But if you want to have a relationship with your dad, it may be a good time to realize it's going to massively change, and I'm going to approach just kind of a one-note relationship, a surfacey thing, and let it be that. Yeah, I think that's really, really important part of this. And Jed, you, you spoke on a couple of episodes ago about the, uh, again, speaking of things you'll never hear any other Christian media, on the virtues of a shallow relationship. Yeah. Um, especially for someone who says, you know, I realize there's never been much of a emotional relationship with this person. Um, especially with the la- lack of buying you're getting, one of the things we may have to adjust our sight to here is the, uh, the idea of a deep relationship is off the table currently and probably will be for a while, yeah. if not permanently. So as, as Lee is pointing to here, and I, I don't think there's, I don't, again, things will, will be the only Christians who will say, I'm not sure that you need to have a relationship with this person. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that would be my choice, but if you want that, it probably is going to be a little service level for a while. How do we start towards, uh, forget about establishing that, but how do we start towards a little bit of peace with that? What you want is a warm relationship with someone who you should have a warm relationship with. Yeah. You do deserve that. But if it's going to be a little more service level, how do we start mentally gearing towards that? It's a great question. I think the place we begin is by acknowledging, here's another thing that Christians are worried about is the word deserve. You deserve to have a healthy, loving relationship with your dad. You do. You deserve to have a dad that uh, loves you, that supports you, that nurtures you, that cares for you. And it is wrong morally that you don't have that. Uh, And we're sorry. We're we're super, super sorry. You're not alone in that uh, to whatever extent there's comfort to be had in shared suffering. You're definitely not alone. Um, but the fact that other people experience it doesn't make yours any less uh, either. It's it's crappy right. and mm-hmm. it sucks and we're we're sorry for it. You deserve to have it. But now, as we talk about shifting mental gears, we must ask that next question that, again, Christians are loathe to ask is, is it realistic to expect it? Yes, we can have faith. We, 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 we know. We all hear that. Is it realistic in the next five years, to expect an emotionally nurturing a relationship with your dad. Um, based on the note you sent in, I think all of us would strongly say no. Uh, like super, super no. Yeah. That we is... have seen more dramatic turnarounds in a human being over a five-year period, but not many. That's right. That's right. So is it, let's ask that question, is it realistic to expect XYZ? In this case, it is It is not. Okay, so now we must ask, given that, what's the best that we can hope for? What's, what's the best realistic scenario? Well, the first thing that we need to begin with is a relationship where you are not actively being wounded by it. That's actually needs to be priority number one. Before we can get to anything else, we need a relationship that is not actively hurting you, that is not actively wounding you. 
Um, we want to be clear here. When someone is a jerk to you, that is on them full stop. Right. 100%. We don't do victim blaming or victim shaming on the Say That podcast. If someone mistreats you, if someone hurts you, if someone's uncool to you, that is on them. It is not on you. That said, in the context of ongoing relationships, there are steps that you can take moving forward to keep that from happening again. And we really want to encourage you to do that. We want to talk about what those are. We also want to talk about why that's critical. Christians are supposed to forgive. We all know that. Here's the thing. None of us have an infinite capacity for for forgiveness. None of us. If we have a, a situation where someone keeps on wounding us and keeps on wounding us, sooner or later, they're going to push us to a point where we are not willing to forgive them. Um, that's just human nature. That's, that's how that works. So in order to be able to be forgiving, we need as quickly as possible to get a situation in place where they are not able to keep on wounding us. One of the things, again, that was clear from the note you sent in is this is a person who will keep hurting you if that capacity exists. Um, This is not about a person who doesn't realize what they're doing and, you know, uh, from time to time says a careless word about things. This is someone who's who's being openly hostile. That's that's what we're dealing with. So uh, what we need to do is we need to hold that person at arm's length. Uh, We need to limit the amount of time we spend with them, limit the kind of time we spend with them, the kind of exposure that we have with them um, in a way that probably feels really unchristian. But that's actually the way forward. That's that's the best that we've got. The specifics of your situation are going to inform what that can look like and what that should look like. But for example, if it's one of these things where, well, you know, when you're in my house, it's my rules, and that's how it is, which I suspect is true in this case, then I never go to your house. If, if right. that's how you feel, then all of our interaction occurs uh, in a public place because yeah. um, I'm not playing that game with you. Um, if it's something where this is a person who uh, is better behaved on the phone than they are in person, then we only talk on the phone. That's it. We don't meet in person. The end. Um, that sounds rough. That, that sounds probably a bit extreme, but the alternative is for you to keep absorbing hurt and wound and damage until you lash out and until you say, I won't forgive anymore. I've just had enough of you. Well, that's, we don't want that. That's awful. That's bad for you. That's bad for them. That's bad for the relationship. So what we're left with is holding them at arm's length so that When they are ready for something different, you are ready for something different so that you can be open to that. Because here's the thing, supposing that we get to a point where they are ready for something different, to take it back to the idea of a shallow one-note relationship, we are not going to jump from what you have to a hallmark moment. That's not going to occur. That's right. Uh, the way you, the the big dramatic transformation will be: we can talk for for an hour about golf without you being awful. That's right. that's going to be our big the heavens have opened and light shines down uh, uh, moment, and we want to celebrate that. But if you if you have a situation where someone hurts you and hurts you and hurts you and hurts you, at a certain points like, dude, I'm not talking about golf with you just to spite you. You know, I right. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to look at you. So we we have to kind of protect that possible future from being killed by what is going on today. Um, And that's an act of love. Your father will not receive that as an act of love um, today. Uh, To the contrary, I think you will almost certainly get a message that you're being disrespectful and disobedient and 
who knows what else, diss something. Um, the key thing is you're bad. Right. That's, that's right. the important takeaway. But uh, if we know that what we're doing is actually an act of love and it's an investment in the potential positive future of this relationship, then, Matt, to go back to your question, that's how we have peace, is when we know that we are in an adult and mature way acting for the good of this other person, whether they can see it or not, for the good of this relationship in the long term, whether they can see it or not, then we can have peace as we make that decision. I think it's a great point. And Glenn, I'd love to get you close out on this because one of the, the aspects of this kind of uh, discoupling it from the, the parent-child relationship, which is a lot of the hurt here, but I think you have unique expertise in dealing with people who don't want to admit that what they're doing isn't working. Yeah. Now you, dear listener, may think, well, Glenn deals with a lot of uh, uh, addicts and gang-involved people and people right. in prison. Surely Matt's referring to them. Not really. More of the pastors. That's correct. And the church people That's and the seminary correct. professors. That's correct. And the denominational <laughs> leaders. But so there are people who kind of think the thing is not getting them what they want. Yeah. So when you say to them, how about a small change that will make you happier? They entirely double down on the thing that's killing them. Yeah, that's 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 bad. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. I mean, I think uh, as Christians, we're we're aware that the central thing to being a Christian is that at some point you admitted that you uh, are a sinner, that you have messed up, that you need forgiveness. You've gone to God and asked for forgiveness. So it should be baked in to everyone, anyone who calls themselves a Christian to be familiar with the process of saying, I was wrong. So the proper theological understanding is that everything you do, want, and think is at least mostly wrong. That's right. Now, here's the thing. There are some people who say, I'm going to parent this child, and I must establish that I am the authority, because otherwise the child will do whatever it wants. And I'm establishing that authority on the basis of, I am right. And here's the thing, that's going to be true a lot. If I tell you look both ways before you cross the street, I'm right. It doesn't matter whether the car's coming or not, I'm right. Look both ways before you cross the street. Don't question it, don't second guess it, don't tell me what the particulars are. I told you, don't look. Don't cross the street without looking both ways. Look both ways, I'm right. That's it. Yeah, I think I can see how that, that thinking takes root. But if you're the kind of person just as an individual, if your dad's the kind of person as an individual who can't admit that he's wrong, here's what you need to know about that person. People who can't admit that they're wrong only have temporary relationship. Yeah. They don't have permanent ones. Because eventually you do something wrong or say something wrong, and then you tell that you double down to that person and say, no, I didn't, and that sort of thing. Here's what that person then is left with. Either... I believe that I hallucinated that this happened, or I just take senseless suffering onto myself for no benefit to God, to me, to this other person, to anything, anywhere, senseless suffering onto myself. And there are people who will do that, and they'll, they'll take that onto themselves, and they'll do that once, twice, three times, whatever, but there's a point where they break, and that's what Jed and, and Lee were both talking about here. So think of it this way. The, the way we want you to think of, of, of the dynamic of this is to ask yourself, are you in a sustainable yep. situation with yep. your dad? If it's not sustainable, if you can't put up with what he's doing now for the rest of your life forever and ever, then you will eventually break down. So you, it's, think of yourself as you're on a timeline. And on, on the timeline that you're currently on, this relationship will explode into a thousand tiny pieces and end in the most horrible conflict and negativity there is. That's what you're on now. 
It hasn't happened yet, but it will because it's not sustainable. So the only way for this to change is for you to get on an alternate timeline, and the only way to do that is to change the nature of the relationship, and that may involve uh, having your dad or whoever else uh, doing weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Okay, here's the thing. I was talking about this recently in our service. I think it was on the Bridge podcast about the, the dog whisperer. Yeah. Here's the thing. Dog Whisperer is the most amazing genius there ever was in the world and should be president of the universe. But, and I say this as a person without a dog and I don't want to have a dog and I know know, there's no dogs. I'm not even a pet person. The man's a genius. Okay. There's one episode where he's, he's got this dog and the dog's in the backyard and like, you know, they, like you have a meter reader will come back and look in the backyard or the neighbor people, whatever. This dog will just, I mean, sprint as fast as he can at whoever that person is, and bark so viciously and whatever, like, you think this dog's going to eat my face. Dog Whisperer says, this is all in attitude. And the attitude is calm and stand your ground, which is the last thing you would do with a dog that's just viciously yeah. running at you. So the the the, the lady says, he's going to jump on you and eat your face. You don't understand. He says, all right. He goes in the backyard And he puts his hands on his hips like Superman, like a Superman pose, sticks his chest out, and just stares into the middle distance. That dog races up to him as fast. And he just, he doesn't move a muscle. He doesn't tense up at all. He's completely relaxed as he's just standing there in his Superman pose. And the dog, you can see him barking, but at the same time, he's like thinking, like, what? Whoa, dude. Like, this why is this not working you know and he's questioning himself a little bit in his dog mind like this guy you know if he's not put off by this he must be pretty strong and you know maybe i better back down or else you know the, i don't want to make this guy mad you know whatever and then he calmed down everybody's happy well it's the same thing in our relationships is if somebody if if somebody says hey i'm the daddy person whatever i say is right you got to take it whatever if you back down in that kind of situation well, that that person's going to figure that works, and then they're going to do that every single time. If you attack back to that person, you're just escalating that. That's not working. It's about standing your ground and being firm and saying, hey, Dad, I, I get what you're saying, and I dig it, and it's all cool and everything, but I need for you to understand uh, this is how it's going to be, and this is how it works. I, I love you. I appreciate you. I want to have a relationship with you, but this is how it's going to be. That's absolutely right, and that is one of the big things about healthy behaviors like drawing boundaries is, it sounds odd to say that, put it this way, but I'll try, try to parse it out. You don't do it because it works in the sense of it'll get you this eventual outcome that right. you want. That is, that is not in any way guaranteed. Speaking of which, um, the Say That podcast does not guarantee results from heavily edited reality shows. If you feel like <laughs> you need to run from the dog, hey, you just... you just telling you, man. The dude, he's just like, he's like, he's cool, man. That's, I'll go to the conference where he's talking. Sure, absolutely. Um, but on that, so I'm glad when you wrote in the beginning your question that you'd had a good, uh, ex- a fairly good experience with your mother. And let me be clear that um, she is pretty good at respecting boundaries, kind of most of the time, is rousing success. Yeah, that's good. Setting boundaries with uh, 
with misbehaving family members from yeah, four yeah. people who have done it. That's like yeah, go go from misbehaving to mostly <laughs> pretty much all the time. That's, that's fantastic, that's, dude. That is world beating success. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, and the thing with uh, with not getting that response is it is still the right. You're still on the right strategy. Um, because as these guys are saying, it's gonna it's gonna protect you from this person being able to hurt you. It's not going to enable the other person who is intent on misbehaving because there's a certain level of stuck on the nonsense they're on where pretty much any input is seen as enablement mm-hmm. from that person. So warped is their view. You know, if your if your child comes to you and says, I feel that uh you have uh, been horrifically derelict in your duties as a parent, here are the ways in which I think that is true. I would like to, you know, get on the right foot. What do you say? And your response is, eh, I feel like I did pretty good. Um, that's insane. Right. That's not the the attitude of someone who wants to do better. Yeah. So to as we kind of talk about on the show, to put them in a position where they could do better is not really good strategy or a kindness. Mm-hmm. What these guys are talking about is you want to limit the not the wrongness they can do. Yep. So that the and limiting is where this is going to start. And as we talk about a lot, um, if there's where there's success in that, there can be growth. If they can handle a text with a text chain without being a schmuck, maybe they can handle a phone call. Maybe they can handle a short visit. Maybe they can handle a longer visit. And you kind of have to build up from that, but it is a little bit dog whispery in that you have some people, it has to be clear to them that these are just, the consequences and confines of this relationship. Now mm-hmm. you can't just bully me or wait me out and I'll just reset. Cause mm-hmm. if what was going on before, it isn't working for you. It wasn't working. And something new is what's called for there. We move on to our final question here has some overlap with that one. This question comes into our email address. It says, I recently confronted someone with their behavior toward me and how it made me feel dismissed and hurt. They responded that sometimes you act like a child. I hear your feelings. I was not trying to hurt your feelings, and I still would say the same things to you. You can't live your life about feelings. Feelings are fleeting. Feelings are so emotional and sometimes out of control. Live your life by fact, and don't be so quick to tell me to tell me you see anyone else apologize for hurting your feelings. Turn the other cheek and forgive 7770, etc., etc. Don't try and control me. I love you, but don't start with all that stuff. I told him that he was not, that he may not say I'm acting like a little kid, that I'm not a little kid, and I'm communicating like an adult. I've heard you guys talk about not letting feelings lead, but what I am saying seems very reasonable to me. So, Jared, I think this ties in a lot to our last question, that that expressing yourself, and this is, I have a feeling we may be dealing with someone who spends a lot of time on Reddit. Yep. A lot of time on certain Twitter accounts where they care about your facts, not your feelings. Sure. Until they have a feeling that is entirely disprovable by mountains of evidence, in which case they just kind of stick with it. Yep. This idea of, and we do say a lot on the show, we talk about you can't uh, let emotion lead all your decision-making. Sure. That's not a way to do. That's a different thing than uh, going to someone and saying, you hurt my feelings, and them saying, uh, well, show me a a properly footnoted MLA-cited research about how I hurt your feelings. That's a relational dynamic, which is different than what we talk about when we talk about leading with emotion, right? Yes, it sure is. Well, let's start here. Um, The word feelings means two different things in two different contexts. Um, When we say you hurt my feelings, what we mean is you are a jerk. Right. 
Right. You, said, you are, as Glenn would put it, a jerk face person. Yes. Yeah. You, you said jerky, hurtful things. When we say don't, don't make decisions with your feelings, what we mean is don't allow your emotions to be the thing that makes you know, key life strategy for you. I think it's a great point. As, as I put this when I return to this person, when we say don't leave your feelings, what we mean is I feel like if I asked this person out and they said no, I would literally die. Right. That's leading with your feelings. That's not a thing that will happen. Yes. When someone says, you said that and it hurt my feelings, that is a fact. Yes. That is a thing that happened. It yes. is not debatable. Yes, absolutely right. So none of this is about uh, leading with your feelings or making decisions with your feelings. Those are great questions and worth looking at, but that's that's not what's going on here. That's that's not what we're dealing with here. What we're dealing with here is that a jerk face person said jerk face things, yeah. um, and you did not like that. That's what we're dealing with. We want to be crystal clear on that. Uh, second thing is uh, that a jerk-faced person said something cool, uncool, and you went to them and said, that was an uncool thing you said. We want to pause there. That's awesome. You did great. We're yeah, super right. proud of you. That's you right. are now more emotionally developed than 80% of the people who go to church. Yes, that's wonderful. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Now, here's the next thing that happened is jerk-faced person proved to you that they are a jerk-faced person right. by saying, no, because <laughs> uh, you, you did. You, you, were, you were uncool. So when Jordan and, Peterson said I was just living out my biologically pre-programmed alphaness, so deal with it. Sure, sure. We'll, we'll save our commentary on that guy for another time. So now, let's before we go further, let's remind ourselves of something really important about boundaries. Boundaries are not about controlling other people's behavior. Boundaries are simply about making it clear to another person what you will and will not put up with. Let me repeat that. Boundaries are not about controlling another human being's behavior, making them do one thing or another, because none of us have the ability to do that. Boundaries are simply making it clear to another human being, here are things I will put up with, here are things that I won't put up with. So how does that work in this situation? So you say, you said a jerk thing and it hurt my feelings. They say, nah, because besides and so forth and blah, blah, blah. All right. So a boundaries centric response at this point is to say, I hear you. I, I appreciate that. Here's the thing. Moving forward, if you say things that I find hurtful, I'm going to get up and leave. If we're talking on the phone and you say things that are hurtful, I'm going to hang up the phone and end the conversation. Right. So um, you do whatever you want to do. It's a free country, uh, but uh, that's what my play is going to be. I'm not going to put up with the, that kind of behavior from you. And then, and this is very, very important is you follow through on that because it's not a threat. It's a guarantee. Um, if you're uh, with that person and they say something jerky, you get up and you leave. That's it. That's the end of, of the day. Um, if you're talking on the phone and they say something jerky, you say, well, I'm hanging up now. And then you hang up the phone. Um, uh, God forbid that it's someone who decides that they really want to escalate, but um, if they you know, start stalking you, you contact the authorities. Uh, if they show up where you live or work, you call the police and have them removed, because um, this is all about being clear what you will and will not put up with. Right. Um, unfortunately, there are people out there who just can't stand the idea of someone else asserting boundaries. Um, and, uh, they, they will act like a super jerk face about that. But this is kind of the, the key thing to know, just as, as Glenn said, you know, people who are always right only have temporary relationships. People who can't respect boundaries, even begrudgingly have no relationships. Mm. They don't have any because all adult relationships of any kind have boundaries, all of them. 
There are no exceptions. There are no healthy relationships or even barely healthy relationships that are sans boundaries. I mean, you'll hear people talk about things like, I don't accept limitations on my love. That's nonsense. That's something a serial killer would say in a movie. That's right. All relationships have limitations. All relationships have boundaries of one kind or another. We are really sorry that this person acted the way that they did. Bottom line, they are wrong. Um, You are right. But the way forward is to clearly assert, here's what I'm willing to put up with. Here's what I'm not. Here's what's going to happen uh, if things that I'm not willing to put up with occur. Not telling you what to do, not trying to control your behavior, just making it clear what my behavior will be. But one more thing that we, we want to be clear on that applies to both this question and the last one. You deserve to have healthy relationships in your life, even as you are tamping down and and setting very firm boundaries and controls on these unhealthy relationships. We want to encourage you to invest as much as you can in good, healthy, positive, encouraging relationships that build you up. You need those. You deserve those. And those are going to give you fuel in the tank to deal with these unfortunately difficult relationships that are before you. That's a great point. And Lee, I'd love to to go to you here. There's, um, (coughs) I think, again, another overlap with our previous question here is there is a perfectly logical um, idea that the, the world just refuses to abide by, which is this is the way all relationships work. Mm-hmm. This is the way adults interact. And well, I've run into someone who has just decided they're playing Calvin ball with this whole thing. <laughs> Speaking of references from the eighties, thank you. And they've just decided that they're going to put pour a couple of Bible verses and uh, some guilt on top of them, just not wanting to change. How do we interact with that? Um, that is a great question. First of all, if you don't know what Calvin Ball is, please Google that. Really, really fun. But uh, the thing that, that Matt said that is so true is that we would love to believe that everybody that we interact with and everybody that we have relationships with at a certain point will abide by the rules of this is how to be a person. Um, we would love to believe that. And the problem is we really, really want that so badly that most of us have a false idea in our mind. And the false idea is this. Probably everybody has a point. Um, probably at a certain place, I should listen to what anybody has to say about anything because everybody yeah. has great intentions towards me. And everybody at a certain point is going to know how to be. The fact is that um, you are finding out <laughs> a, the, the very difficult truth that some people really, really don't know how to be. Some people really have no humility. Some people really have no ability to ever admit that they were wrong about anything. And this is not a person that you can have a healthy adult relationship with. And that leads me to this. When that realization finally dawns on you in a totally clear way, the thing that you have to do next is you have to you have to face the fact that there are going to be people into your in your life that you have some semblance of a relationship with that you need to give zero access to your emotional self. Yeah. They do not have the right or the credentials to affect your emotional state. Um, If you think about your life and your heart and your mind like a big rock concert, and there's a lot of people there that get to to hang out, but there's only a very few select people that have the VIP all-access pass that get to hang out backstage with you when the band's getting ready. 
than nobody else. Everybody else gets to watch the show. Everybody, there are people that you hang out with, people that you talk with, people that you interact with at the grocery store, at, at work, at the bank, whatever. But there are only a very few people that you allow access, that you listen to their opinions on anything uh, with any kind of respect, and that you allow to, uh, to speak into your life in a way where you're saying, what do you think about this decision that I've made? Um, how do you think I should have handled this conversation? You don't ask those kinds of questions to just anybody. This is, this is kind of developing off of something that Jed said at the end of his answer, where he was saying that we really want to encourage you to, to develop uh, healthy relationships with folks who do know how to be. And this is part of that, is that I don't give backstage VIP access into my emotional self to everybody in my life. I don't have the exact same amount of vulnerability with everybody I know. And I don't tell everybody the whole story, and I don't make any apologies about that. And if I have people in my life that I need to change their access status, the way that you want to do that is you start identifying the kinds of uh, the kinds of conversational and emotional triggers that happen when you're around that person, and then you write those things down and you get ready for that for the next time that you see that person or hang out with them. That's how you start proactively and preemptively getting ready to shut out their access to your emotional self. If that seems complicated, uh, drop us another line. We can talk more about that. But this is the place that you're at. You're realizing not everybody knows how to be, and I can't give everybody access to my emotional self. That's all really, really sharp stuff. I'm glad I'd love to get you to close this out here. I, I'd love to get you to pick up because I think you have a very good take on this feelings versus fact thing. There's yeah, someone has drawn a false dichotomy here. Mm. Um, that I think it's it's worth knowing how to break that down for them, in the sense of it's a facile argument. It's also worth knowing what the differences are in our own mind. So how do we yeah. go about dealing with that? Well, I think what these fellows are trying to tell us, uh, tell you is that you had a, an, in, an initial situation where this person was acting like a jerk face person to use a technical term. Yes. And a JFP, uh, if you will. That's right. Now that may have happened over a long period of time, a short period of time. We don't know. But then you said the way that you're acting is hurting my feelings. Now, in many ways, I think in your mind that might have been one of those things of um, uh, it, it's not an over the top thing. It's saying, you know, I'm not saying you're a jerk face person. I'm just saying it happened to hurt my feelings. Uh, but here's the problem with that if he's acting like a jerk face person, he doesn't care about your feelings. That's how he's coming to the place of acting like a jerk face person. Or it's not that he doesn't care, he's disregarding it. He's not worried about it. He's not concerning himself with that. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, what he's recognizing is that you're giving him a choice. One is that he has to uh, live according to how you feel he should live. and He's already made the decision he's not going to do that. Or he can decide that your feelings are an illusion. They don't exist in reality, it's a, a fleeting, ethereal, <laughs> phantasmagorical entity in, you know, floating in the hemispheres of the. Uh, no, dude. As as Jed said, I don't like how you're acting. <laughs> That's the phrase. 
that's it. Doesn't matter how you feel. You don't tell people how you feel when they are actively hurting your feelings. Because you can't, as Leah's saying, you can't be vulnerable to them in that moment because they're not acting in a way that's respectful to your feelings. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great phrase of saying, I don't like your behavior because there's nothing to argue with there. Exactly. That's the whole point is I'm not giving you a thing, a, a thing that we can debate about. Here, here's a, here's a, here's a, 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 a thing that you could just take with you. Rudeness is not something that we all just made up. <laughs> <laughs> it exists. It's real. It's a thing. The, the, it, it, and you can treat it like it's a, uh, 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 you, you know, you could you could say, well, okay, you know, rudeness doesn't mean the same thing to everybody, so therefore, why do I have to abide by your rules, man? Okay, there's two things on that. One is if you want a relationship with me, you absolutely must abide by my rules of what rudeness is. That's how all relationships work. That's how that's 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 that's, that's the basis upon which relationships exist is you act in a way that is above what that person considers rude. So you must live by everyone's subjective idea that you want to have a relationship with of what is rude and what is not. Uh, if you're acting in a rude way, we've pointed that out, and you say, suck it up, then I think you need to recognize what kind of a person we're having a conversation with, what kind of a future uh, relationship that uh, we ought to be looking at having with that person. Uh, but I think it's important for us to 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 uh, to be able to express these things as these folks are saying dispassionately, without being uh, uh, without without getting into a debate, without having that sense of uh, this is your opinion and this is my opinion. These are feelings and these are facts and those kinds of things. It's about drawing a line and saying, "Look, I like you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be able to interact with you." But here's what I need you to understand. I simply don't like the way you're acting. It doesn't make this relationship better and stronger. It's not something I want to be putting up with. If you want to have a relationship with me, I need you to look at this behavior and ask yourself, do you want to act this way freely and unfettered? Or do you want to have a relationship with me? Because the sad Whole, cold, hard reality that you are dealing with is you cannot act this way and also have a relationship with me. You make the decision. It's, it's your call, but you need to be aware those are the decisions that are in front of you. Being able to, to, to express that is not in any way leaving Christianity behind. Nope. I think these are the kinds of conversations we have in order to create healthy Christian community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. I, I would take one more stab at the, we, it's important to turn down. Uh, you hurt my feelings is a fact. That's that is right. a statement of something that happened. <laughs> That's right. When you get into subjective reality and all that, I think that it is, it happens in our personal relationships. It gets exploded into a larger narrative. This idea that anything that has to do with emotions is inherently invalid there's a lot of sexism dialed up in that, but you know, just mm. people are being hysterical. Yeah. Just running around talking about emotions. Um, again, it never, uh, that also leads to this weird kind of thing of people uh, saying things that are entirely emotional. And this happens a lot in church, things that are entirely wound up emotionally, but because they state it in like a certain way, it just gets the, it gets to be a fact. Right. And say, like, well, I, you know, I think I just, we're all scared about the massive influx of crime. You say, I actually hear the numbers nationally, violent crime is down. 
at a 25 year low and in your your town specifically it's down a 30 year low yeah i was still just very worried right and you say like well this this thing happened and this this person was offended well geez, you can't just live your life by emotions Right. It's right. Just, it's a, it's an attempt to dismiss something mm-hmm. in, in a very uh, underhanded way, and uh, what, the main thing we would tell them that is don't put up with it. When someone says, as Glenn often says, if you stepped on my foot, I, and I tell you that, you don't even say, oh, no, I didn't do that. Right. Because I got tread marks on my foot here. So that's right. what we're dealing with. And to, to go back to what both Lee and Jed said on this question, um, it is... The time and effort, and we can all speak to this both from personal and ministry standpoints, the time and effort you could pour into the black hole that is this person trying to get an ounce of movement out of them could get you so much further down the road in so many other relationships and pursuits in life. It is staggering. So right. put put your time and your effort where it's going to bear some fruit. Yeah, and if you step on my toe, you don't really get to define whether my response is appropriate <laughs> yeah, or not. proportionate yeah. to what happened to you. Yeah. So all really good stuff. And as the guys mentioned, if you have follow-ups on that, please feel free to let us know. Or if you have a different question for us, you can find us at saythatpodcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Or tell the song this week, this is from our Bridge Worship album, which is available anywhere you stream yeah. or download music. Nowadays, you got that on your Apple Music, your Amazons, your Spotify's, wherever you have. You can search either Jed Brewer or The Bridge Worship to find that this is a song Jed wrote from the middle of the bridge called You Have Better. Take it out for that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. Possible early entry for, say, that monster truck title, Snark Digger? (laughs) (laughs) Snark Digger. Well done. You have better for me than I have for myself. You were sad and I'll have when we deserve hell. You offer me things that will not fade away like the love of a father who is here to stay. And I don't know how to be happy and I don't know how to live and I tried what made sense to me but it was all just counterfeit you have better for me than I have for myself you were sad enough heaven when we deserved hell you offered me things that will not fade that are fleeting and I want things that won't last but you offer forever a future instead of a past you have better for me than I have for myself you were sad in heaven when we deserve hell you offer me things that will not be That would kill me And I want What won't fill me up But you Refuse to cheat me With anything less than The gift of your son You have better for me Than I have for myself You were sad enough Heaven when we deserve hell